0: Mercy and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what's your story? Has anyone ever asked you that? If they did, how would you answer? I don't normally ask people that. I'm, I'm more of the, the kind of guy that when I meet somebody, I just stick to like the, the baseline questions like, how's it going? Or, uh, what's up? But I know at some point in my life, some beguiling stranger has asked me, what's your story? What's your story? If you've been with us for any length of time since this last fall, uh, you know that we've been walking through uh, this story. It's a a book. It's the Bible, shortened, been put in chronological order, uh, called The Story. And today we're starting to wrap up. Uh, Today is the the second-to-last installment of the story. And if you've been with us for this entire journey, good work. You have now traveled through and experienced uh, over 4,000 years of history. You've encountered uh, 40 different biblical books, uh, not including Revelation, which is for next week. And you have heard the one massive plot line that is the Bible. The story of a God who created a world that humanity might share with Him in. And when humanity turned their back on God, how He, out of His deep love, stepped down into that creation in order to, to win it back to Himself, to restore humanity and this relationship with God and all of creation itself. This is the story. And if you've just come to us recently here at St. Peter and Paul, or if you're just joining us for today, I hope that you walk away today. You are a part of this story. This story isn't over. This story didn't end 2,000 years ago at a cross in an empty tomb. It continues today, even in your life, as God breaks in and disrupts you, messes with your your notion of what is normal, and invites you to see a bigger picture, a better way, a larger story. And if you're sitting there today and you're kind of, Sure, if you want to be included in this story after hearing what happened to Paul, well, that's fair because this is a story of daring adventure. It's a story of heroism and heartbreak. It's a story of of trials and tears, as the Apostle Paul could well tell you. We heard him sharing as much with the elders of the church church in Ephesus that he started. He said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Paul's life had been marked with trials and tears. The, the three years that he had spent in Ephesus was just a microcosm of Paul's larger life, the 15 years since that moment on the road to Damascus when Jesus had encountered him, when he had, when he had met the person of Jesus. See, so it was on that day in Damascus that, that Jesus disrupted Paul's story. Jesus broke into Paul's life and opened his eyes up to a bigger vision and a bigger mission, Paul was already on a mission from the Jews to eradicate this Jesus movement, thinking that it was in opposition to the God that he thought that he knew. But that encounter with Jesus transformed Paul when he realized that the scope of God's plan for the world and for his own life were much bigger. And almost immediately after that, Paul was under the threats of those plots of the Jews. Uh, Just days after God had opened Paul's eyes to to his story, Luke reports that the Jews plotted to kill him. And not much has changed. All these years later in Ephesus, uh, Paul still is being threatened by these plots of the Jews. But he continues to testify, both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God In a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's story was greater and of more value to Paul than any other plot line that he had previously pursued. Paul said in our text today, he said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I do not account my life. Now, the word there uh, in Greek is actually uh, psuchain, which can mean your physical life, but also means everything that goes on in the inner life. Right? Your psyche. Right? Psuchain, psyche. See the connection? All your hopes, and your dreams, all the plans that you make for your life, these things that we we dream of to go out and chase, Paul says that none of them, none of them compare to what God is inviting us into. Paul would write this elsewhere in another letter to another church, saying, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's in a letter he wrote to the Philippian church. The meaning that God had imbued into Paul's life by connecting him to God's larger story was greater than anything else he had ever chased after. And that's a real relief to us modern people. I was listening to a podcast the other day, uh, a podcast on meaning, that was talking about how in our modern world, it's actually really hard to live and we're not resourced very well, especially in the West because all of us feel like we have to make meaning, that it's up to us, it's up to you to make meaning in your life, to, to identify something, something that's valuable to you, and then go chase after it, right? Go live your best life. You've probably heard that said. And the reason for this is that the predominant belief in the secularized West is that we're all accidents. We're all the products of an evolutionary cycle that has dropped us here, right? To live, to die, maybe procreate and prolong the existence of our species, but with no connection to a transcendent story. And so if there's any meaning in our lives at all, we have to come up with it. We have to figure out what our hopes and dreams are. We have to come up with our little plans and chase them so that we can find fulfillment. But you know what the problem with that is? They're all a house of cards, these things. That's the problem. The problem isn't having a career or, or investing in your spouse or a family, these things that are good. Uh, It's not a problem to have these goals and dreams. It's an issue when those things become everything. When they become the highest thing, the most thing, the thing that, that gets you up out of bed in the morning, the sole reason to push on. When you make something like that the foundation of your worth, it's untenable. But a lot of people do this, right? I mean, think about uh, your career. For a lot of people, for a lot of men, especially that becomes foundational for our identity, and and it works for a lot of people, right? Because they go out and they do their job, and they feel like as long as they're doing a good job, they're worthy. They have something to offer the world. But what happens when the business fails, or when there's a recession? Or, or when you discover that you're just not very good at the job you have, well, then you, you flatline. You fall, right? The, the cards are already falling beneath you. And, and, and maybe you think, well, that, yeah, I guess that's tough for somebody who goes through that, but that's not really my issue. I have a good job. I don't need to worry about that. Things are actually going well for me, but that's actually an even bigger danger for us. It's harder for God to disrupt us when life is comfortable, when life is good. And what happens when things are going well, if if your work, for instance, is your foundational identity, the human heart will start to see that as everyone's worth. And so you'll begin to judge others who seem to fail, right? You'll see those who do fail at their job as failures. It's their identity because your success is your identity. And before long, you'll have a hard time giving grace to anybody, right? You'll, you'll see everyone who's stuck in some uh, bad situation as a product of all of their actions. That it was all their fault, that they should have done something else. And if they would have done something else, they never would have landed in this spot. There's no grace for them. Even if the cards were stacked against them. But if you see your life in connection to God's greater story, then, then all of that pressure from the job, or from your marriage, or from whatever skill you're honing, or or love relationship you're in, or maybe even your family, your kids, all the pressure that you feel towards those things, it starts to release. When you see yourself connected to God's bigger story. Because now it's not make or break. Now that thing isn't everything. It's just an opportunity to participate in God's restoration of the entire world. To play our little part in God's bigger story. And then if... And when you fail, you blow it, you screw up, it's not over. And you don't have to run yourself through that emotional gauntlet because unlike these things in the life, in the world, the things that we chase after, our God operates on a much more gracious basis. If you fall at the job and you fall hard enough, they might just say, pack up, we'll see you never, right? That's not what our God says to you. When you fall in relationship with our God, He says, get up. He says, rise. It's the same thing that Jesus said to Paul when he first met him on that road to Damascus. Now, granted, Paul had just fallen down. He was blinded by the light, maybe fell off a horse, right? But I think Jesus was saying more to him than just get up. When in Acts 9, Jesus said to Paul, Rise. He was saying to Paul, Start over. Begin again. Resurrect. My mercies are new today for you. Let's have another go at it. And then Jesus kept revealing his greater story to Paul. And as Paul listened to the voice of this new, gracious master, it worked its way through him. If you read Paul, that grace of God worked its way through him. He talks about the love of God more than anything else. And this is what propelled Paul to wake up every day with these Ephesians. And the more you listen to him, the more you'll find that gracious principle working its way through you in your interactions with others. So what is God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do today, this week? What has God been placing on your heart that you've been afraid to respond to? And just to be clear, God is not calling you to abandon your life and try and go live someone else's life. You don't need to go live Paul's life, okay? Paul had a very unique role in uh, uh, the gospel movement in the Jesus movement in spreading his word to the nations. You don't have to be Paul. God has given you your life. You See? God has placed you exactly in your life where you are. He's given you your skills. He's given you the people around you, your, your family, your friends, your colleagues. God has put you particularly there. Out of His grace, He's given you these things. You don't have to try to live someone else's life. You don't have to live Paul's life. But that spirit that spoke to Paul, that constrained him to go to Jerusalem on his mission, that spirit is still speaking today. And he still speaks to you. What is God calling you to do in your life? Maybe God is calling you to see him as God. That's the first step, you know. Just like Paul seeing Jesus on that road to Damascus as Lord and as God maybe some of those hopes and dreams and plans that you have have started to take the place of God. And I I told you that it's good news, right, when you see yourself connected to God's greater story, and it is. It is. But often it comes with a kind of death and a kind of loss, trials and tears, right? In that same letter we read earlier uh, to the Philippians, uh, Paul would say this, He would say, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Some of those things that we've been holding on to in our life, we have to let go. They have to die. We have to give them over to God. But Paul would go on to say that that he suffered the loss of all of these things, but he counts them as rubbish, as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and a bunch of other really really good books. He has this great line where he says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Right? Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Because God is not calling you to to leave your work or to leave your friends or to leave your your spouse, or anything like that, these things that you love in your life, God's not calling you to leave them. He's just calling you to love Him first. Love Him above those things. And the irony is, when we load that kind of pressure onto these earthly things, you know, you, you load all the fulfillment you want out of life into your marriage, your marriage will collapse. It can't bear that load. It's not strong enough to bear that load. But when we find our fulfillment in God, when we look to Him for direction, (laughs) the narrative arc just gets bigger, right? The plot line expands. Earth gets thrown in. Aim at heaven, and earth gets thrown in. So I'll ask you again, what's God calling you to do today? What's God calling you to give up What's God calling you to say? Where in your life is there a need for redemption, for a wrong to be made right, or or for a relationship that's broken to be restored, right? This is the plot line, restoration, and you're in the story too. Or maybe there's someone else in your life that God has put you in position for that they might experience the grace of God that you know. What is God calling you to do? Whatever it is, it's going to be an adventure. So what's your story? Whatever your story is, I hope you see it in connection to God's greater story that you are a part of, through the one who has obtained you with His own blood. In Jesus' name, amen.